Good morning. <laughs> I'm going to say this is the Vineyard St. Albans. <laughs> you know, 2045. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're all in good spirits. I hope you're well. It's always an honor and a privilege to, to share with you. And we're in this wonderful series on stewardship. And the reality is that I, I just love when Mark uh, introduced the series because i just done the series, as you know, we just done the series on marriage. And the key scripture was Genesis chapter 1. 26 to 28, the fact that we are made in his image. So we see a thread here. Uh, the reality is that the image of God is in us, and we have this responsibility, this stewardship to see that image demonstrated to the world. Now, I think that Mark laid what I call a phenomenal foundation. It was crisp. And the fact is this, that we, as the stewardship that we have in it, we have this responsibility to rule in the earth, to make his image known throughout the world. But of course, we all know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Everything was going well until Eve started to speak to strange serpents. And instead of Adam jumping up and saying, who is that and who are you? Why are you speaking to my wife? He was passive and we know the rest is history. And the image of God was marred in us. But God in his wisdom, you see, I always say when I'm talking about the fall, it, was like, it wasn't like God was caught by surprise. Oh dear, what's happened now? Satan knew what he was doing. He knew that he needed to get the authority that was ours, given to us, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it's there. He hadn't got authority in this realm, so he had to get it, and he got it by default, by presenting to Eve the idea that she was not a God. You will be like God. The fact is, as Mark said quite well, they were like God. Anyway, they fell for it. And of course, the image of God is now marred in us. But of course, God in his wisdom sent Jesus. In fact, the truth is that God came himself in the person of Jesus. And of course, not only did he just come to deal with our sin on that cross, but to restore the image of God in us. To, as we put it, and it's a, it's a vineyard verse, to undo the works of darkness in our lives. To bring us back into that place that we should have been before the fall. Dealing with the sin but then restoring God's image. Now, the issue is this. The original mandate that was actually given to Adam and Eve, thus to us, to rule in the earth and to demonstrate his image, it hasn't disappeared. We are stewards of that. We have a responsibility to demonstrate that. Now, Chris, last week, uh, I wasn't here, but I listened to the podcast. You need to listen to that because he took it to another level. He said, in view of the, this stewardship that we have, in view of this responsibility that God has given us, it behoves us to what? And he used three S's and all preachers like good alliteration. <laughs> he said, we need to surrender 
to that call, to that stewardship. We need to sacrifice and we need to have to serve, service. And he reminded us, he took us to that wonderful scripture from 1 Peter 2, 9, that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation belonging to God. He who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you might do what? That you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. And then he finished off with Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's a powerful message. And if you didn't hear it, you need to get onto the podcast and hear it. Now, this morning, in the time I have left, that wasn't saying the notices were long. <laughs> Nothing to that. No, 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 it wasn't nothing to that. No, no, we're a team here. We back one another up here. We're going to look. <laughs> no, that's all right. I can speak. <laughs> I can speak fast. We're going to look at stewing, stewarding his love, grace, and mercy to others. So that's love, grace, and mercy to others. So let's just consider this. Let's take you to a story in the Bible because Jesus is the one who personifies love, grace, and mercy better maybe than anybody else. Jesus, he goes to a Pharisee's house. And what is the normal custom is that when you go to the house, they give you wash, water to wash you know, the, the dust off your feet and usually a towel. Well, when he goes to the Pharisee's house, the Pharisee doesn't give him any of that. But there's this woman there. And when she sees Jesus, she comes now and she starts to wash his feet with her tears. She starts to pour oil on his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. Now, the interesting thing is the reaction of the Pharisee. If he had glasses, he would be like, hmm. Doesn't this man know who this woman is? Surely, if he were a prophet, he would know she's a prostitute. But Jesus just lets her carry on doing what she's doing and of course for Jesus it's a wonderful opportunity to teach the Pharisee something about God's love and mercy and he says to the Pharisee he actually talks about two parables he says about the debtor who owed a lot of money and he goes to the king and the king lets him off and then the same man has a friend who owes him a lot less and he throws him in prison and then he goes on to say, which, then he goes on to the second story and he says, now look, you see this woman, she, I came to your house and you didn't give me any water. You didn't wash my feet. This woman has washed my feet with her tears. Then he says this, Luke seven forty seven. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever, whoever, whosoever has been forgiven little loves little. What he's saying here is this. Your ability to love people unconditionally is directly proportional to the love and forgiveness you have received 
from your heavenly Father. The love and forgiveness that you and I have received, if you've not received a lot, then you don't tend to give a lot. You see, one of the things that we have to understand, particularly those of us, well, I was kind of brought up in a Baptist church where everybody looked bright and shiny, you know, and all the kids looked well scrubbed. And everybody turned up Sunday morning looking good. Yeah? And how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. Great. Next. But you see, the reality is that we all have stuff going on with us. And one of the things that God wants us to experience is his love and forgiveness. I have to say that some of the sweetest times that I've known is when I've come in my brokenness, I've come in my woundedness, I've come in my sin, I've got on the phone, I said, Derek, you know, I've been doing this thing, I can need confession, I confess. And then the presence of God comes down and I'm bawling. I know some of you don't, but I do. And I experience the sweetness of his forgiveness, the sweetness of his love. You know, the psalmist said this, Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. You know, folks, you know, as obviously you know, head of pastoral care, you get to know what's going on in people's lives. There are a number of us who are suffering at the moment with sickness, with challenges. But let me tell you, the Lord is compassionate and he's gracious. He wants to pour some oil and wine in this morning to some of you that are hurting real bad. He will not always accuse us, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Aren't you pleased about that? Because it would be empty in here this morning. <laughs> if it was the basis of performance, man, none of us would be here. None of us. We've all had meltdowns. We've all said things we shouldn't. We've all had thoughts we shouldn't. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, not the north from the south, east from the west, because you never really get there. As far he has removed our transgressions from us. And friends, God wants you to know that experientially, just not, not just experimentally. I, having a cognitive intellectual understanding that your sins are forgiven. Now, when you fall into whatever you fall into, that doesn't help you. Isn't that right, Trace? It doesn't help you. It's like, oh, well, yes, I know my things. You need to know it in your heart. You need to come <laughs> and know God's comfort and affirmation and love. And in fact, how it works, you see, is this. Generally speaking, when we fall into stuff that we shouldn't, we run away from each other. This is not the day when you want to meet the pastor in the marketplace. You know, they say, oh, hello, pastor, bye-bye. <laughs> or what we do, you know, we think about, who, you know, we've done stuff that we shouldn't have, and we think about who we're meeting. And we're thinking, hmm, if I do this, I've got to meet so-and-so tomorrow. No, I don't think, hmm, I think I will miss the meeting. <laughs> we hide. That's the point, because that's what Adam and Eve did. They hid. But the truth is, when we fall into stuff, we need to run to the community. 
We need to run to that place where we will receive love and comfort and mercy. Our natural inclination is to hide. But the reality is when we come, we receive grace and mercy, not judgment. So Jesus models love toward this woman and then carries out for us the ultimate act of love by going to the cross. The most main, and the most famous verse in the Bible, you know, John 3, 16, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So love is always about giving. You know, I could have unpacked what love is, but in the Bible, biblical love is always about giving. It's always about sacrifice. Now, I said all of that to say this. Because we have been loved, those of us who are followers of Jesus, and those, even if you're not, those of us who have been loved unconditionally, we are called to love others in the same way. You see, living the love means we're not judgmental of people. You like that, living the love. You know, one of the key values here at the vineyard is that we're not judgmental. And it's easy to be judgmental. Now, you know, the most, some of the most judgmental people on the planet are followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you can be judgmental of others. You know, your children, they all love the Lord. These children, their children, they don't love the Lord. Oh, 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 oh. You know, or you see such and such. Hmm, I'm not sure about them. You know, it's more difficult when you're prophetic because you see things you see, but you mustn't be just mental. <laughs> but we at the vineyard, we have this attitude that we allow people to come as they are. It's a fundamental principle of vineyard churches. Come as you are, of course, but we believe that you won't stay as you are. As you come into the presence of God, as the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, you will change. But you come as you are, which means church looks messy. See, I came from a, you know, Baptist church. Everybody looked bright and shiny. You don't have people out there smoking cigarettes and running up and down. Not that any of those things are wrong. All I'm just saying is that Let's put it this way. You couldn't be on the worship band if you're out there having a few, you know, smoking a cigarette and having a few beers. They're like, hmm, what is this? You're not a holy man of God. <laughs> right? But you see, we do messy church. People don't come well all scrubbed and cleaned. They may be sleeping with someone else. They may be doing a lot of stuff. But we believe you come as you are because we have a principle and a value at the vineyard that we are not judgmental of people. And you've met people who are not followers of Jesus and what they said, those people are hypocrites. Or when I went in the church, I felt judged. But you see, we have a responsibility to, to demonstrate a stewardship, to demonstrate the character of God to those who are searching and seeking for Jesus. So, remember the new commandment that Jesus said. He said, John 13, 34, 35, he says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. I could unpack that, but that's a tall order because the way that Jesus loved us, he gave it all. He laid his life down. So you must love one another. By this, 
Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when the world sees us loving one another, when they see the way that we as a community of God's people made up of every tribe and nation, working together in love, being tender-hearted, forgiving, compassionate to one another, uh, that's Ephesians 4.32, the point is this, they are impacted by that because out there, it's a jungle. Out there, you know, we've got the election coming up and you can see one party saying this and the other party saying that and the counter proposed and the counter arguments and all the rest of it. Oh, let me use more colloquial language. They are slagging each other off. We hope that you don't do that. You know, read good papers, not bad papers, <laughs> right? But when they come in here, they see people from every demographic age, from every type of ethnicity, from every type of background, and we are living together in harmony because of what Jesus has done. And when they see this, this is what they're looking for. That's what Jesus was saying. We're called to steward his love to each other so that the world sees it. Now, how do we do that? Because we talked about us loving each other, but the world needs to see it. So I'd like to say to you that as a steward of his love, you also need to do this to the community. You know, as being you know, head of pastoral care for a time here, a lot of our activity can be what we do here in terms of training you and all the rest of it. But ultimately, it's what we do out there that's going to bring new people in here. Hello? Yeah? So, acts of kindness. Praying for people. Now, you see... <laughs> You know, the street that Eileen and I have lived on for some 36 years, it will be 36 years, in fact, 15th will be 36 years that we've been living in that house and 36 years end of the month that we've been married. So I know a lot of people. And I'm out there, I think it was early in the week, and my neighbour was seeking to inform me of some particular person who has particular attitudes that are not things I'm going to talk about. But... As I'm just about, I'm talking to the lady, the neighbour, Terry, he's a lovely bloke. He's one of these blokes, he looks like a slob, but he's not. He's actually a director of a company, and he actually likes to play it up. But he, he just pulls up to me in the car, and he says to me, um, uh, Dan, I'm just going to see my sister. She's got hours to live. Could you just pray a blessing on me? Now, he's not apologies, so I just stop. I'm talking to Dawn, I say, Dawn, hold that. And I said, Father, just thank you now for Terry. We ask you now that as his sister moves from this life to the next, that you'll give him the right words to say. You'll give him grace and peace in the name of the Father who loves you, in the name of the Son who died for you, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he's there like this. <laughs> Literally. And he just thank, thank you then, and he drives off. Now, you know, some of you are going to say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. Look, let me tell you something. I was doing that before they gave me the title. See, don't excuse yourself. One of the things that kind of, you want to get me going now. <laughs> you know, I, I, my pastoral team have mercy. But sometimes people say, well, it's your personality. You're, you're an extrovert. You, you love people. You know, we're introverts. You know, we don't do that. Oh, we like to pray for people, but we're... And I almost, you know, I almost want to take a stick and beat them. I said, somehow, 
which is not good for head of pastoral care. I said, and when since now have you got this idea that you can hide behind your personality and that excuses you from reaching out to people? So, so, so okay, tell me, was Jesus then an extrovert or an introvert? Be careful how you answer. Friends, this isn't about personality. It's about the fact, one, have you got compassion in your heart? Two, have you got eternity in your heart? And three, do you realize that you have a responsibility as a steward of his God's grace to minister his love and a mercy to those people who are searching and seeking for Jesus? It's not about you. It's about him and you are the conduit to which he wants to connect with the world. So if you stay behind your hide behind being an introvert, you are robbing God of the opportunity to reach people in his name. And he can use you, and it doesn't matter what colour you are, what personality you are, providing you are available, God can use you. That's what it's about, folks. Jesus took 12 disciples. They didn't go to university. They were common men. They were fishermen, and he took them and changed the world. So come on, folks. Sorry. I need to just get back. Return to the text. <laughs> so I think we've done love there well. So now let's look at the next one. Grace and mercy to others. Let's go down to John 8, 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say, mealy-mouthed hypocrites? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Friends, religion without grace and mercy, you know what it does? It empowers shame. 
because it's concerned about obeying the rules and being right. That poor woman stood there and she was experiencing shame from the Pharisees who were supposed to be God's vehicle to make himself known to the world. And what they were concerned about was the fact that she had done something wrong and all they were concerned about was bringing shame on that woman. Religion without grace and mercy is judgmental and produces guilt and condemnation. I'm walking up the high street, I think early in the week, well, and I went to the bank and I came out of the bank and I'm going through this arch in Dunstable and I see a purse on the floor. So I decide, okay, let me take the purse to a police station, which isn't that far away. I walk through my old, where I used to go to church, where I became a follower of Jesus effectively, and I meet um, one, of the, one of the members. So I'm talking to her and then she says, you know, I said, yes, we go to the Vineyard of the yes, we know your pastor, blah, blah. So she says to me, do you preach sin? And I thought, what manner of question is this? <laughs> it's like, if you preach sin, you know, it's the secret formula that will bring people to the Lord. You know, do you think when that lady was standing there in front of the Pharisees that Jesus needed to preach to her about her sin? In other words, what I'm saying to you, of course we do preach about sin, but most people know their stuff. They know their stuff. They know the stuff that's dragging them down. They know the stuff that's destroying them. And if it's just about religion, then all we're concerned about is making people feel guilty. You know, we have certain brands of Christianity that are professionals at that. Some of you know. Remember, this is on tape. I cannot say it. It's what I didn't say, which you know. See, religion without grace and mercy empowers the law, which just confirms that we are deserving of judgment. Now, if you know your Bible, you know, Galatians 3.24 says that the law was like our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. What the law does, it just makes you feel worse. In fact, if there was no law, in one sense, there wouldn't be so much of a problem. But you see, because the law is there, there is a problem because it excites stuff in us. You see what you're talking about. Let's go theology here. You're walking along. <laughs> Every day, past the grass, you never even think to put your foot on it. One day, there's a sign. Don't work on the grass. Your foot goes there. <laughs> the power of the law, my friend. If you, do, you are not convinced, have children. You will see. <laughs> the Adamic nature is deep in them. See, my bro here is with his two boys. You know, boy wants to do Mission Impossible. Come back here. <laughs> so, the, the, so the law has its part. But the, see, the reality is it's not just about religion and keeping the law. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The fact is that we have received mercy when we should have had judgment. James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been mercy. But here it is. Mercy trumps over judgment. And as a follower of Jesus, even if you're not, Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us then... Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? 
mercy. You see, mercy is what, when Jesus died on the cross, that blood that was shed, it was to cover your stuff, my stuff. And grace, that's, you know what his grace is? His grace is, yes, we know it's his unmerited favor. That's the theological as it were, definition, but it's more than that. We need his grace. That's his empowering presence so that we can be and do what God has called us to be and do and help us in our time of need. I have to finish now because it's 5-2. The time has run away. Band, please come. Let's just give you some pointers here. How can we be stewards of his love and mercy and grace? Some practical things that we can do. First and foremost, as a steward of his grace and his mercy to others, make yourself available for God to use to pray for a neighbor or a colleague. I'm going to challenge some of you a little later, because you've never done that before, that maybe this week you would be expectant that God would use you to minister in a non-religious way. Because this is what I usually say to people, would you mind if I pray a blessing on you? And this is how you will know. You will know because they'll start spilling their stuff to you. If someone starts spilling their stuff to you, that is the sign. And you just wait and say, do you mind if I pray a blessing on you? And you don't have to, and just be normal. Keep your eyes open. You can say to them, keep their eyes open as well. And just pray a blessing on them. And it's at that moment that God steps in. Look for opportunities to carry out acts of kindness. Don't just look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. Don't just be so myopic and narrow that you're about, it's my life and my issues and my problems. God has put you where you are so that you might see more than just your issues, but the issues of others. Remember, we are stewards of God's grace and love. All God asks of you and me is that we make ourselves available. Would you please stand? And one of the things you could do, you could get involved in some of our compassion ministries. And finally, choose to be kind, to be tender-hearted, forgiving, just as Christ has forgiven you. And friends, remember, you know what it's going to take? And you can come next week to find out about that. It's going to take time and it's going to take energy. So let's just worship God now. Thank you, Lord Jesus.